Welcome back. Yeah. How are you? You go first. Did you give thanks? I did. I gave lots of thanks. I gave thanks all over the place. It was it was lousy with thanks over here. Um, <laughs> it was nice. The people stop you. They were like, it's enough now. Yeah. Like, we get relax. It. Like, simmer yeah. down. Like, yeah. No, it was good. It was lots of, we had like two Thanksgivings because we had like a friend's Thanksgiving and a family Thanksgiving and, you oh, know, cool. went to the gym and got back on the scale and saw I've oh. done about, you know, yeah. three to four pounds of damage. So that's fine. Set back that. three months of hard work. That's right. That's right. <laughs> and then uh, our, you know, Jack was home from college and he basically either slept or went out with friends the entire time. So yeah. that seemed, that's that seemed about right. You know, like yeah. that's, that's kind of what I was expecting. Like he'll like raid the fridge, sleep till two, go out with friends, rinse and repeat. And that was definitely yeah. the MO. No, I mean, it's, you know, that's, that, that's the joy of parenting, right? That's, um, right. you know, all the thanks you get. Yeah, exactly. Gwen, on Saturday night, Gwen was like, well, we could play, you know, maybe we play some games tonight or Friday night. She said, like, maybe we can play some games. And Jack's like, I have four hours of studying I have to do. It's like, all right. Then, oh, wow. Yeah, yeah. We won't we won't complain then. You go, you go do what you got to do. Wow, that's a lot of work to do on a Thanksgiving weekend. Oh, yeah. Yeah, he had like... He got he gradually got a little bit more stressed as Sunday approached because he just had like two huge tests this week. So he had to like I think he was like studying on the train the whole ride up to Boston to last oh, night and just like, you know, crushing. Yeah. How was your holiday? It was good. Yeah. yeah. No, we had a it was pretty relaxed, pretty calm. Good. Um good food. Still still picking at leftovers. Nice. Um still regretting every moment of that. <laughs> the, the tummy actually says yeah. um yeah and uh kind of excited i'm going um i'm going to mexico on the sixth so right and uh yeah in, like looking forward to getting in the water there just yep. not doing anything that sounds awesome that sounds like a good idea mm -hmm. um what are you What are you doing this week leading up to? Do you have a lot you have to get done before you can head out? I've got work to do. Um, so I'm still working on the book. Yep. Got, got a ton of daily responsibilities to the book. It feels like I've got a job. That's the book. <laughs> and then I've got other jobs. Um, and then I'm kicking off a big project with one of my clients today. So they've Ooh. got a... Uh, actually, it's kind of relevant to what we talk about on mm. a... On a on a general basis, and that is how do you balance the need for good quality leads with the traditional urgencies of like, well, you know, do we need this particular quantity of leads in order to go into the funnel in order for the funnel to make sense? And mm. so they're just, they're at that point now where most of their customer sales are enterprise level. Okay. And they're realizing that a ton of the marketing that they were doing gives them that sense of that, you know, they're out there, kind of an awareness or a branding, as some mm -hmm. people might call it. Mm -hmm. But it's normally this weird sense of obligation, like, oh, we should be out there because people need to know that we exist. Right. Um, and it's a hard one because I think that in some cases you do need to get the the name or the brand of what it is that you're doing out there. Yeah. But the problem is there's just so many different ways to do that now. And there's so many easy ways to get caught in the trap of 
throwing a big net out or spending a lot of money on AdWords, spending a lot of money on, you know, LinkedIn, mm -hmm. all of these things. Mm -hmm. But what does that actually matter? How does it actually turn into anything? So yeah. they're going through that phase now and thinking about if you're going to be an enterprise company or you're going to mm -hmm. sell to enterprise, does the sales need to be a little bit more targeted? And in that way, you, you often feel you can get a sense from the team. I'm sure you've had this in, in, in your life as well. Well, if we stop marketing at that top level, at top of funnel, that yep. kind of awareness level, does that mean we're not going to get the attention we deserve? Right. Does that mean yep. that when you talk to people, they won't know who we are? Yeah. And it's a tough one. I don't know if there is a answer. I think it's much more a case by case thing. But yeah. I do feel like unless the company needs to tell their competitors what they're doing, that it's okay to fly under the radar. I think it's okay for you to just not tell everybody that you're working with them. You don't need a billboard on 101. Mm -hmm. You don't need a Super Bowl ad, mm -hmm. you don't need to spend $50,000 on AdWords every month. What right. you do need to do, though, is you need to find out who your customers are and you need to go and talk to them. Right. And that often isn't, as we've discussed in several episodes, that isn't really the thing that people are geared to do anymore. They're yeah. not really sure how to do that. Yeah. And they're not really sure how to start a conversation. Yep. Yep. So, I just, I just had this conversation with our mutual friend, and I know she would be okay with me sharing this because she's you know just kind of like dipping her toe back into into exploring what her like options are um but i was talking to tracy halverson about this mm. last week and just generally talking about like lead gen and awareness and all those moving parts of like the what is often like the typical sales playbook right like i think that's like the sales playbook that is the playbook for a reason. Like the the standard operating procedure sales stuff is the is the foundation of a lot of sales strategy because historically and traditionally, like it's effective. I think the I got fired up talking to Tracy about this though because, and I and I use this term and, and I'll repeat it here. It may not reflect well on me. It may it may be that I am like walking happily into being painted as an asshole. But like I referred to a lot of the stuff that comes out of the standard playbook as like that shit is for muggles, like to borrow from the Harry Potter world. Like there's a lot of just like lame, unimaginative, mm -hmm. programmatic, dumb shit you can do. Mm -hmm. And some folks need to do some of that stuff. And some folks need to like take a step back and realize like this is some lame ass muggle shit right here. And I don't need to be doing this. I need to be more creative or I need to be more, yeah. you know, in innovative or more strategic or more intentional or more whatever. Like I do think that you can, you can waste a lot of time going through the motions of, you know, this is the standard playbook for like, you know, AdWords, do this, you know, do that, do these things that are the, 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 you know, basic building blocks of normal biz dev strategy. And yeah, like in time, I, I think in time, like good things will come out of just the repetition and the dick, the commitment to that process. Like if you just pour enough energy into that stuff, stuff will generate over yeah. time. If you, you know, my, my favorite example, which is ironic given the name of my consulting company, cause I call myself clutch, but then I look at the other clutch, the clutch.co. Right. And like, I watch people 
pour endless effort into grooming their clutch profile for the the sake of their clutch profile. Like, ooh, I need more client testimonials for my clutch profile. I need more of this for my clutch pro. I need all these things to beef up my clutch profile, right? And that takes effort and it takes time and it takes, you know, commitment to kind of improve and improve and improve and improve your clutch profile. For what reason? Like to to have a bigger, shinier yellow pages ad, which is a very dated reference, but you know, but but that's generally what it is. It's like here is now this, you know, database of companies, none of which are like have any particular resonance or any particular affinity or any kind of like chemistry with the person reviewing them. They are simply entries in a database of companies. Mm -hmm. Some of them have more shit filled out than others. Some of them don't. Some of them are alphabetically A in the alphabetical order and B in the alphabetical order. Some of them are Z. Like there's a million ways these things get like ordered and prioritized within that framework just to be another entry in a phone book of agencies that the person reviewing it has no like built in interest in or affinity for or awareness of. Yeah. So you put all the time Did and you, effort into this. Do you ever remember getting any leads from those kinds of services? No. Now, and, and not only do I not recall personally, like, and, and my experience is dated because I kind of got out of that part of my happy cog life just as clutch. I mean, ironically, I leave happy cog. I call myself clutch. The other clutch blows up like 15 minutes later. Like it was the most <laughs> horrifying, like, like coincidence of things I've ever seen. Varun from Galaxy Web Systems walks up to me at one of the, um, bureau event he's like oh you're you're clutch like you do clutch.com like ah oh, jesus christ like no so i missed that kind of yeah timing but but i've seen in all of my consulting clients i mean they often talk about the unqualified leads they get from clutch like they get leads i mean what like you really get... would have done to really position yourself is when varun said you're clutch you said you said yeah you're like i am <laughs> right and you got to pay me a thousand bucks a month Right. I will be the the gatekeeper for all your opportunities. That's right. That's right. Here's yeah. here's the bank. Subscribe to me. Yep. Yeah. Joe yeah. as a service. But yeah, yeah. I mean, it was well, so yeah. so. The the bigger issue, of course, is you know, as you say, like where do you put your time? Right. If you're going to yeah. put your time somewhere, yeah. Do you put it into creating content? Do you put right. it into building those third party profiles yeah. that are as you said, just like a modern version of the yellow pages. Right. Do you do something else? And the only thing that I've seen work consistently, and then, and this is where the gray hairs do count, right? So mm. having done this for a long time, yeah. and having worked yeah. with a lot of companies that have done this for a long time, I can safely say that some things work for that extended period of time have worked for that ex mm. extended period of time. And yes, there have been moments when things came along that attracted attention for a brief mm. moment, the mm. flash in the pants of whether it was, you know, AdWords or social media, SEO, there are, there have been things that have mattered. Yeah, sure. For sure they have, and but yep. they've mattered for less time than I would have liked. Right. So we, yeah, you you maybe hire somebody or you but you really invest in doing that yeah, thing, yeah. and then a year later everybody else is doing that. And I think what so yeah. what we're seeing now, and this is just a um, a confirmation of what we've talked about in previous episodes. If people want to go back and look at those, is that um, 
everybody has the same tools, everybody has the same opportunities, everybody has the same way and channel, you know, the kind of the medium to get to their customers. So that's yeah. saturated. So what we are seeing is a saturated market. Yes. You all have the same tools. You yeah. all have the same way of communicating. You're all using similar methodologies to speak to your customers. And so they are exhausted. They, they yeah. do not open your emails. They do not open anybody's emails. It's not personal. Right, 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 not right, that they don't like you. They just, they're tired. Right, it's not they're, about you. It's about email. Yeah, right. So digital yeah. fatigue is the, is the, the terminology. Mm. But they're just tired. They're just exhausted. They, they, yeah. they don't want to be sold to, and they don't really believe a lot of what is being told to them, yep. regardless of whether it's a new social media. So if Threads comes out and you're like, well, we got to get on Threads because that's where right. the new credibility exists, I'll save you the trouble. It doesn't. It doesn't matter. Yeah. So where do you put your time? The thing that has worked most consistently over time is the owner, the CEO, the mm -hmm. senior person in the organization, the person who holds the most responsibility where the buck stops. That is the person who should be doing the most amount of sales and marketing. So what does that actually mm -hmm. look like? Because most people are mm -hmm. like, well, that's not the job of a CEO. And I cannot wait for those kinds of conversations because People say, well, I've got, you know, I'm busy doing this. I'm busy doing that. I'm yeah. like hiring people and I'm managing the business and I've, I'm in operations and I'm, you know, I'm also the technical founder. So I've got to make sure that, you know, all the engineering and development and blah, blah, blah is up to date. I'm like, that's great. But that's not going to help you, right? You, you Then you need a CEO to replace you who's actually willing mm. to do the work. And the work is mm. that most of your time will be customer facing. Now, it can take mm -hmm. different forms. At the very highest level, as a PR person, so you're right. out there speaking to journalists, having conversations about what's going on in your business, what you're doing right. for your customers, what your software is doing if you're a software company or a SaaS company. Mm -hmm. And you're also very, very active on the social platforms as a teller of the story, as a teller of the narrative. Mm -hmm. um, Fashionably now it's called build in public, but in right. you know when we started doing it, it was just like, hey, we're showing you what's happening. We're actually telling you how we're building our business. We're showing you how we do the work, uh, and we disappointingly used to call this black tar heroin. I, I don't know why we did that, but we used to say like, if we're gonna you know get somebody addicted to us, then we need to be giving away samples. So what mm. we often did is show people what we can do. Mm. Hey, we're gonna redesign the um, the FedEx website because it's garbage mm. or we're going to redesign uh, American Airlines website because it's garbage. Yep. Yep. And we didn't do it because we thought we knew better than they did. Obviously, they have a lot of insights that we don't have. Right. But we're having fun. We're saying, look, we have these capabilities and insights. Yep. And, and by the way, this is how we thought about it. Really, yep. it's not about the end product of what that website looks like or that product looks like or that app looks like. What's really interesting is how we got there and we would yep. have a detailed conversation. All those blog posts were... This is how we think, you know, it's kindergarten. Show me right. how you solved the problem. Right. Don't show me just the result. Just you know, explain to me how you got there. Yeah. And that's really what we were setting. And so a CEO, a founder, a leader of an organization has to be willing to be customer facing. And if you're listening to this and you're saying, well, you know, I don't believe that. I think that, you know, there are lots of good examples of CEOs who are not customer facing. That's great. But what you'll also find is that there's somebody there who's willing to do that work for them, who has an almost equal level of seniority in the organization. Maybe right. it's a co-founder, 
maybe it's somebody who has a massive personality um, who is willing to go out and do that work and has the title to deserve that, to, you know, to carry that credibility. And so it could be PR. Mm-hmm. It could be social posts every day. Mm-hmm. It could be creating content. So maybe you're creating content like I described as yep. black tar heroin, which, you know, disappointingly should have been called something else. Um, <laughs> anything like that. And also speaking to customers directly. So those yep. are your existing customers and future customers. And yep. the, the easiest way to do this, and this is, I'm really giving away the um, secret sauce here. Mm. The easiest way to do this is say, we are doing something of interest. We would like to get you involved. That's all it is. And so mm. if I reach out to the CEO of a company and I say, hey, I'd like to talk to you about a product that I have or a service that I have, I'm never going to get to that person. I'm not even that they're not going to open up my email. Then I'm not going to get past the gatekeeper. Mm. But if I reach out to that person and say, hey, I'm doing something of interest, and that thing could be I am uh, writing a book, right. I'm writing an article, Right. I am putting together a survey of the top 20 companies in your industry. Right. And I need a qualitative quote from you. Yep. Um, you know, I need insights from you. I am, uh, I'm doing a fact check against an article I read in Harvard, you know, Harvard business review that mentioned you and says, blah, blah, blah. Yep. Um, I'm not sure that that's true. And I would like to fact check against you. So like all of these things are, are ways to start a conversation with somebody. Yep. Now, does that mean that they're actually going to work with you directly and buy from you immediately? No, it doesn't mean right. that. But it is an opportunity for you to open up the door and start a relationship where zero yep. opportunity existed in the first place. Yeah. So I can tell you right now, because I've been a CEO for 20 years, I am not clicking on your AdWords. I'm not clicking on your display ads. Right. I'm not clicking on anything that you've created in Canva. I'm not clicking on any content that you've created for the purposes of generating leads. So these are sometimes called lead magnets, right? Yeah. I'm not downloading your white paper. Right. I'm not downloading your free webinar. I'm right. not downloading your free course. I'm not doing any of those things. Yep. Absolutely not. And neither, if you're running a good company, neither are any of my executives. My executives right. are not doing those things. They are also seeking out information though. Right. right. So just because they're not downloading a white paper or watching your free webinar, that doesn't mean that they're not looking for information. They are seeking right. information and they are seeking to be involved in a good conversation. Right. So those are the opportunities to then reach out to them and say, look, we're putting together a group of people just like you and we're right. going to have these kinds of conversations, a la Onacamp right. or any of the other kinds of events that you and yep. I have created over the years. Yep. You are... Uh, and we discussed this in another episode, so I'm not going to go through it, but you as an executive are probably also seeking similar answers to similar questions that are out there. We're putting a bunch of people together. We're going to have this conversation. Yeah. We're going to curate it. It's going to be nice. It's going to be intimate. It's going to be confidential. Yeah. You're going to have fun. There's also going to be some beer and wine there if you're really lucky. Um, everybody's going to go home happy. Right. But it is the job of the of the person who owns the business. It doesn't matter how big or small the business. It could be a billion-dollar company. Mm-hmm. That person's responsibility is to go out and lead that conversation in some form. Mm-hmm. And because their words, their representation, their interest in the conversation with the customer really matters. Yeah. really does. Like, like that's what people focus on. It is yeah. you represent that thing because people aren't very good at understanding what a company is. They don't really think, well, there are 10,000 people. 
right? That's just, just like Eddie Izzard used to say about murderers. Like if somebody murders something, somebody, oh my God, like you're watching the news, you're trying to figure out how it happened. You're mm -hmm. like really interested in it. Somebody goes out and kills 20 people. Wow, they're, they're, they're interesting. Put them in a glass cage and watch them. Like, mm -hmm. this, is a, this is like a curiosity. This is like mm. a zoo animal, right? What, <laughs> what would lead them to kill 20 people in a row? Right. It's super interesting. They kill a million people, like Pol Pot or, you know, and you're like, I don't understand. Right. Like you just, people just don't understand the numbers of people. Right. And so they have to put their faith in the individual that represents that organization, that, right. the figurehead. Right. And, and so what do you do as a CEO? You say, well, I don't have time to do this. And that's a really good um, reasonable argument. It's mm. not good, but it's a reasonable argument. But there are ways for you to do this. You can build an entire system around you to provide you with ways to do this. Mm. You can have a film crew like Gary Vee does following you mm. around, making content. Mm. You can, uh, same thing with uh, Alex Hormozzi. There's a lot of people who like do this. They just have like people walking around Right. Making notes and, and helping them create content. And they're having a conversation while they're doing something else. Somebody's recording that. That becomes a cool little piece that goes into social media. Yep. So there are ways to do that if you're running a billion-dollar company. Right. But most of the people who are listening to this podcast are not running a billion-dollar company. Right. They're running a 10, 20, 30, 40-person company, and they're thinking, how am I going to make payroll next month? Right. And the way you're going to make payroll is get your head out of your ass and start selling. That is the <laughs> only way you do it. And there are, like I said, there are multiple ways to do that, but that is what you have to do. As the CEO yeah. or the owner of an organization, you are 100% responsible for sales. And so figure yeah. out a way to do that. There are, like I said, multiple ways to do that. It doesn't yep. have to be the same, but you do need to take the responsibility of doing that. Yeah. I think, and I, just to build on that, I think that, so I agree with everything you said. I think that, that, you know, there is a fundamental value that the, the to your point about people struggling to understand what a company is, like that's why it's effective for a leader to personify the company because then yep. the company becomes, you know, more closely associated with a person and a personality, and that's easier for people to understand. Frank, and the reason why people don't download the white paper, they don't click on the ad, is because we are very good at identifying what feels like marketing, and mm -hmm. we are very good at avoiding it. And then we are index yeah. on we 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 prefer things that feel authentic, that feel like people. So we. Yeah you know, zoom towards those instead. If you take, you know, any service business, if you post content on LinkedIn by the company on the company page with the company logo, and then post the same content from the principal, the owner, the CEO, whomever, from their personal account, mm -hmm. watch the numbers like vastly outperform on the personal post versus the same content with a logo next to it because our eyes just bump against that and we resist being marketed at. Mm -hmm. And I think that where a lot of people I work with or a lot of people I talk to about this struggle with what you're describing is they put all this pressure on themselves to be some kind of uh, industry visionary right. who is saying the most remarkable things fathomable, which warrant recording and posting and sharing. They, they put this kind of pressure on themselves that like in order to be some kind of public figurehead with a gravitational pull that attracts all this attention, that you have to be, you know, singular and, and, and unparalleled in the vastness of your expertise and, and have this innate ability to kind of like diagnose 
and the truth is, it's not that hard. Like what you, what really is available to you. And you said this when you were talking about like, you know, when you reach out to someone and give them a chance to be involved in something of value, right? Like that was kind of the the framework you described for how to originally reach out to and connect with people is rather than ask for their advice, rather than ask for their business, rather than ask for their time, you're basically saying, I am trying to create this thing of value and I'd like to include you in it instead of, you know, asking for things. I think in that conversation, you can mine for all of the information and all of the concepts and all of the insights and all of the points of conversation you could ever want to become the, the, you know, the sequence of things that you post about or the conversation that you have. Like you, you can be a journalist, you can be a researcher, you can go into these conversations as a student and be a sponge and, and, you know, sop up all this information from that dialogue and share as you learn and share as you go. You don't have to be inventing things, right? You don't have to be the, the person like, you know, coining a phrase that galvanizes. 100%. Yeah. You just being, being a journalist is, quite literally the only mindset that you need. Yeah. Another, a, a friend of mine calls it detectiveness, right? You just be detective. Detectiveness. Like you're, yeah. <clears throat> you're on the trail of something. You have a yeah. question. Yeah. Much more important than having the answer. Yeah. You have a curiosity. You have a hypothesis. Yeah. And you're going to go investigate. You're going to yeah. go ask questions until something comes out of there. It doesn't really matter what comes out. You don't care because it's a hypothesis. So whether it's validating or invalidating, you don't care either. So, hey, I think that, you know, all companies of a certain size need a certain thing. We're doing a survey. We're going to find out. Right. And then you come away and you go, actually, they don't. Well, that's good news for everybody because now we all know. Yeah. Now you can publish that. Mm -hmm. And by association with that information, you look smart, right? So you look like you are the owner of that idea. And as you said, it is impossible to put yourself into that guru status or that master status or that all-knowing status and sustain that. You may have a really good idea one time, but it's really difficult to do that daily. Yes, 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 yes. Much easier to seek out other people who are smarter and more interesting than you. Yes. And then just share their ideas. Hey, I spoke to Joe. Yeah. He said this thing. Yeah. Made me think, here's what happened. Like yep. Joe's the source of that. Joe's more interesting than I am. I am the journalist. I'm by the way, I also heard from Tracy and Ben and mm. and Anthony. They all said similar things. And guess yep. what I've done? I've said, like, well, here are the five things that I've learned from these conversations I've had. Yeah. There's a pattern. And yeah. guess what? They're all successful. Yeah. These are really good principles to follow. I yeah. recommend you go and do something like that. Yeah. I, I or think a personal yeah. anecdote. Sure. Hey, this happened to me. Sure, sure, sure. Yep. Uh, generally, the more, as you say, the more open, vulnerable, and authentic you are, the better. So, right. hey, I tried this thing, or I right. did this thing once. Yeah. It was a complete failure. What yeah, did yeah, I learn yeah. from that? Yeah. yeah. What you're not really going to learn from is successes because you're, most people just don't learn like no, that. No, yeah, yeah, yeah. And you're also yeah. not going to teach people through your success. You're like, uh, I'll give you a really good example. A, um, yeah. <clears throat> a new guy who had had three billion dollar companies and now he was running a venture capital firm and, and he was responsible for all of the MA. This was the largest MA firm on the East Coast. Mm. <clears throat> so you could say this guy knew what he was doing when it came to right. like commerce. And I said to him, 
how did you do this? What can I do to do what you did? How can I be a three-time IPO expert? Um, He's like, you can't. I was like, why? And he goes, because none of the things that existed during those moments exist right right right. now. Right. We were just really lucky. Mm. When we went public with this company, the laws supported us in such a way that they don't wouldn't support you anymore. Right. They changed the law. Or there's now an antitrust issue with that. Or right, right, right. that that sector doesn't even exist anymore. Right. Emerging being... technology came through and shut the doors on that. Yeah. Yep. And he's like, you you can never replicate by asking somebody their success story right. and then trying to copy that. That's impossible. Right. And yet uh, that's what many people do. They they yep. they go to whether it's Amazon or Audible or the bookstore and they say, Oh, I'm gonna read this biography. Yeah, as we joked, like, you know, the Walter Isaacson yep. biography yeah. of the jour. That's right. And they, they're like, I'm going to read a book about Elon Musk so that I can be more like Elon right. Musk. Nothing you can do or say will replicate the time, the luck, the situation right. that right. any of these people found themselves in. So you're not going to learn from people's success yep. by emulating them. What you can learn from is where they went wrong and avoiding those mistakes. Right. So as as Charlie Munger says, it's way easier to be less stupid than it mm. is to try and be clever. Right. Because we're all trying very hard to be the smartest people in the room and have the best, you know, one liners and all these things. But the reality is success comes from not dying. You know, the, right. like there's a there's a lot <laughs> There's a, a lot to be said for people just outliving everybody else. Right. <laughs> you know, yeah. Stay, yep. My business survived longer yeah. than yours. Yeah. Therefore, it was more successful, right? Right. right. <laughs> there were a lot of companies when we started out in the web design space, there were probably 10,000 companies doing what we did. Mm. And there was a lot of consolidation. And at, by the end, there were just a handful of really good ones. Mm. Now, that then changed significantly when new technology came along and, and uh, you know, no code and all these other technologies changed that mm. space but that's what happens in every industry right there's mm. like there were something like a thousand car companies at the beginning of the 1900s mm. right like mom and pop small manufacturers yeah yeah, yeah and and, yeah. and even audi is uh four rings those four rings represent the four companies that they acquired to mm. create a single company gotcha and so there's there's this kind of thing that happens where yep you know, as you as you're kind of growing and learning, and as you're kind of experiencing the failures, you're able to consolidate around that because you've lasted longer, because you've avoided right. failure, yeah, um, or you've learned from your failure, or yep. you've adapted because of your failure, yeah. Whereas learning from other people and their successes. So if you're the CEO and you're trying to sell, and you're trying to think, what am I going to say? What am I going to put on social media? What content am I going to create? Right. Don't think about yourself. It's not about you. Right. It's got nothing to do with you. It's right. got to do with the problem that you're solving for your customer. Well, what is that problem? What is that question? Yep. Go and be Malcolm Gladwell. Go and ask questions. Go and write right. a story about the questions that people have around that idea because that's yeah. really interesting. Yeah. You don't have to be the guru. You don't have to be the smart one. Mm-hmm. I love the fact that I've published all these books and I none of my knowledge is in there. It's all other people's knowledge. Mm. It's just collection of yep. good ideas yep. from people who have lasted longer and are much smarter and are yeah. way uh, more adaptable yeah. than I was. And so yeah. I learned from that. I think that there's a, 
there's a great line in one of the books by the onion. I think it's their like our dumb century book or something like that, where they, the foreword is fictionally by Thomas Jefferson or somebody. And he talks about like what an inventor he was. And he's like, well, but back then, like you just invented things all the time. Cause we didn't have things. Like I invented the trash can. Like we didn't have one before that. Like, so there is like a, an opportunity when an industry is young to create things. And then it reaches a maturity point where you're not inventing things anymore. Like you're not, you're not out there like, you know, creating the singular technology that turns everything on its ear every 15 minutes and having worked with some people and, and met people that were kind of blessed and cursed by being that point of inflection in an industry, like they're trying to recreate that sometimes to their own, you know, detriment, trying to, to recapture that magic. Like I did this the one time, or I invented this thing that turned the industry on its ear. I should be able to ride that into retirement. Like that's like, I profoundly changed this industry. Shouldn't I just be able to kind of like yeah. lean into this for the next, you know, two decades and ride this over the horizon. And, and that kind of success teaches sometimes dangerous lessons. It teaches this, yeah. you know, swing for the fences, you know, create this revolution. And the truth is like the, the industry's matured to a point of, to a, to a wonderful point of stability and best practices and things that are just kind of, you know, built into place over time. It's hard to be this revolutionary point of view in a mature industry, in, in, in a, in a technology that's kind of, yeah. you know, matured and developed. And I think, you know, the, one of the things that I've, a phrase that I've used in the past that I have mixed feelings about, I think it's effective, but I also want to just be mindful of it. It's something I call the optics of ownership, mm -hmm. which is owning a thing is sometimes like misunderstood to be something you own. It is sometimes associated with you that, you know, that you didn't, you know, that you own it more than you do, or, or that ownership yeah. is kind of misunderstood. For example, like to your point, you know, in your book, Design Leadership, it is a collection of all these interviews and insights from all these people across all, you know, walks of life contributing to this, this kind of text. And you are, by, by writing the book, you are kind of critically associated with the insights that come out of that book that is part of what is now your identity is yeah. you spent the time to put this book together about, you know, design leadership. Now, did you invent every thought in the book? No, you, you are... So you were smart enough to aggregate all these things, to pull all these things together. But as a result, because you've committed the time and interest and effort into putting this book together, you are now a little bit more closely associated with the concept of design leadership as a right. result. Like, right. so again, the, another example of this from a few years ago was when I was working with Dan Mall and Super Friendly. You know, Dan was kind of competing at the the vanguard of the design system kind of arms race, right? There was this, there was a, a kind of a push to, to the design systems became this very kind of provocative and interesting topic in the design community. They mm -hmm. existed for a long time before and just hadn't been kind of, you know, it hadn't been kind of organized this way there, there were, but they were having a moment. Yeah. And in that moment, lots of people were competing for the microphone. Or, right. or wanting to be kind of associated as closely right. associated with the concepts of design systems, right? And I think a great example of somebody that was, that is still very closely associated with, with design systems is Brad Frost, 
Now, yeah. Brad coined this term atomic design. It was incredibly helpful for a lot of people to understand a way of thinking about design systems in this kind of framework. He wrote about it a ton. He spoke about it a ton. He shared about it a ton. And as a result, you know, Brad is often the first place people go when they're right. thinking about design systems. Like, I think, you know, I don't think I'm speaking out of turn to say that Brad enjoys kind of a place in the marketplace where a lot of leads come to him. A lot of conversations come to him because he was early on the scene and, mm. and, and created this concept that was very resonant. Mm. When I was working with Dan, something we talked about a lot was like, it's really important to have the optics of ownership, to be associated closely with this concept. Look at the guys at Sparkbox. They do this right. design system report every year. They, right. they, they, they're, they're journalists. Right. They get their detectiveness out. They go out and they research right. this topic. They organize the information. Every time they do it, it's kind of like, you know, it's just nudging them towards the concept of design mm -hmm. systems, trying to unify the thing. What, what what Dan did was he took like the super friendly website at the time and tried to make it just a, a database of design system things. So he reached out to friends who had written books about design systems and said, hey, if I put together a page of all the books about design systems, is it okay if I include your book there? I'll include links back to your book, but it'll be, you know, a page on my site that has 15 design system books on it. You can go mm -hmm. there and you can find books. I'll make another page, all these articles about design systems mm -hmm. and I'll make sure that it tracks back to the authors and it's properly attributed. But if my website is the place you can go to for all of this content on design systems in written form and verb, like all this stuff, then his website becomes more and more like it moves towards the center of the conversation. It starts to edge towards the, the middle of what is most closely identified with design systems. And mm -hmm. as a result, you know, there's a little bit of reader laziness that winds up, you know, draping the person with glory. Like, oh, well, I guess, you know, if all these articles are on your site, I guess, you know, you're, you have something to do with these. Or I guess these books, you have, like, there's just like this sloppiness that comes into this that can start to build this, the optics of ownership that you, you know, are associated with all these things. And again, like, what that is at, at the core, what it's trying to do is just to try to, like, be a part of a conversation be more of the center of the part of the conversation, but not having to invent whole cloth, brand new technologies and brand new concepts and novel right. ideas. It's just, you know, stirring the pot. It's just generating and, and kind of, you know, moving the conversation around by, by bringing all these things together. And, and again, that's, that is very much a function of curating and collecting and being a journalist, lots of things that lots of, more introverted founders and shy CEOs and people that don't want to be Gary Vaynerchuk or whatever the hell, like, but th that is much more approachable. It's much more approachable to, to think of yourself as a curator, as a collector, as a, as an amplifier, as a, as a journalist, like that, that's an easier role to imagine than, yep. you know, I want to be the person at the front of the room, you know, like Tom Cruise in Magnolia, you know, firing up an audience with like a, rallying cry or something god my references are old i need better references oh you've earned them i'm you've showing my references. my age yeah all of my it's like if like an, if an ai listened to the, my part of the podcast it's like that guy's 48 years old i guarantee it oh uh, yeah i mean all of this like the best part of having a journalistic mindset yeah when it comes to sales or content development in service of sales is that it reduces imposter syndrome as well because you yeah. stop trying to be the expert. You stop trying to be the smartest person in the room. You just right. try and have the best questions. Right. What are the, 
what are the interesting questions? What is everybody thinking about right now? Yeah. And then going ahead and asking those questions in a way that generate interesting answers. Yeah. And those interesting answers, collect them and yeah. just show them. Yeah. And it doesn't have to be, like you said, it could be a podcast, could be a book, could be a talk, could be a, a series of articles, yeah. whatever suits your personality. Yeah. And if you can't do it yourself, find somebody you can ghostwrite or ghost right. produce with you or have AI take care of the production mm. part of it. But you can't say, oh, I'm too busy because I'm taking care of operations. I'm taking care of finances. I'm taking, yeah. those are still the things you have to do. If oh, you're yeah. the owner of a business, if you're yeah. going to be the person who's going to create some, create an organization that is going to go and make something and sell something. Yeah. You also have to be responsible for the sales. Yeah. And I think the other alibi or the other um, reason why someone would, would put up res resistance to this would be, they would say something like, well, I'm just not that close to the work anymore. Like I'm um, not really involved. Yeah, that's in not a, that's not an acceptable. No, sir. Yeah. No, sir. Yeah. Even, even the best C-level executives that I've met who are part of, you know, multi hundred million dollar or billion dollar companies, they are still paying attention. They still know what's going on. Actually, yeah. Brian Chesney, uh, Chesky from Airbnb says this mm. very clearly that you don't, you know, micromanagement has been given a bad name in the sense that you don't need to be there every step of the way. You don't need to be taking care of every little detail, but you need to know that those details exist and you need to know why they exist and why they're there. Mm. Um, on the one hand, you need to know how to make work work right you need to understand why those details matter yeah. and on the other hand you want to make sure that they're not bureaucratic or policies thing policy right. stuff that's got in the way yep so you need to know you have to be a practitioner at some yeah. part of your day what's going on here what is this thing that we're building uh, yeah. use your product i think that's the yes. easiest yeah if you're, a, if you're a service company yep. put yourself in the in the shoes of the customer yep understand what that feels like if you're yep. Running a SaaS company, use the product. Yeah. Like, well, this thing doesn't work. Why doesn't it work? Oh, well, so-and-so said, there's a really good story I've actually included in my book. I don't know how true this is, but I've heard it a couple of times. It was a French manufacturer, and they had been the leader of the industry for some time, but they got to a point where now everything had just slowed down. Revenues was, were pretty flat. And um, they got a new CEO in, and as they were giving this new CEO, a tour of the facility, he noticed that there were a line of people standing outside of this supply cage where they kept a whole bunch of stuff. And hmm. he asked, why are these people waiting in line over there? And they said, well, they're waiting in line to get new gloves because the nature of this manufacturing work meant that their gloves would wear out and they would obviously need those for protection. Hmm. And he's like, well, why don't they just go and get the gloves for themselves? Why are they waiting in line with hmm. a guy with a a key, you know, a clipboard, and and he says, "Well, a couple of sets of gloves went missing. So then we put in place this policy where you've got to fill out a form, and then it's got to be reviewed by a manager, and then we've mm. got to decide whether you, and then you've got to wait in line when the guy's mm. available, and he's only available for certain hours of the day." Right. And so the new CEO asked the question. So, in the hours wasted right. that these machines are not online because the machine minders are not working. Right. How many thousands of dollars are we losing right. per minute? Versus the cost of gloves. 
versus even if we just gave away the gloves, you know, right. Willy nilly. What at a loss. Right. Right. Yeah. And yeah, of course yeah. there's that awkward moment of silence where everybody's <laughs> like, uh, yeah, we didn't really think that through. And I think yeah, that's yeah. why, you know, you do as a CEO need to pay attention. Yeah. But you also, this is true of sales as well. You need to pay attention to sales. Like why are we selling in a certain way? Why are we yep. saying things we're saying? Why are we using yep. this methodology? Why are we just assuming that email is going to work when we know it doesn't like, yeah, yeah. it just, it, it, it really does come back again and again to, you have to express your interest and intention on the thing. The more you try to build up systems that automate your involvement and allow you to take your eye off the ball, the, the, you know, you're just setting yourself up to be very vulnerable mm-hmm. to, to something disastrous that you're, you're not prepared for, that you're not keeping an eye on things. You're not, you're not a, you know, you're not close enough to what really matters. I think that that's like, I understand too, that there's fatigue and exhaustion as people own a business for a long time. And, you know, I, I get that, but that accumulates over time, but there's, there's, there's no rule that says these businesses get easier to run and less complicated to run the longer they're around and the bigger they get. I mean, I, I... I would challenge the argument that you're so there's two things you said that are worth thinking about. Mm-hmm. One is replacing yourself with systems, right? Mm-hmm. That's, that's factory thinking. That's assuming that people are organisms right. within a factory environment, right. like cogs in a wheel. Right, right, right. I don't think that that works anymore. I don't think that ever worked particularly well. I think it was right. fine when we took people out of the field and said, yeah, Hey, people were more pliable this yes. tap yeah. onto the yes. toothpaste tube yeah. and then yeah. put it in this box. Yeah. Yeah. Now we have a machine to do that. Yeah. We are still using that same methodology, those same ideas to describe how we build businesses that can grow and scale. Yeah. And I understand that systems thinking is important, but I think we've over calibrated on that and we yeah. are well, well beyond the humanity of that. We're right. now like, treating people very poorly because we assume that there's a system and that we can automate the leader's ideas and we can automate the executive's thinking. Yeah. I, I would question that whole, like wholeheartedly. Mm-hmm. The second thing you said is as an owner, you f- might run out of mojo and fatigue mm-hmm. over time because you're doing the same things over and over again. Well, I don't know if that's true. I think, I think an owner loses their mojo when they're doing what we described the the wrong way is, which is when they're trying to systematize everything and they're taking themselves out of the practitioning and they're taking themselves away from the customer and they're taking themselves away from the sale mm. so that they can manage the business, you know, from a distance. Mm. That's when it gets fatiguing. Mm. That's when it gets really hard. Like, I think there's a point at which you you have to be involved in order to, keep your creativity alive. Otherwise you will, you know, it's, and, and by the way, there are some exceptions. There are like the one or two human beings in the world who have successfully Mm. gone from being the founder of a little garage startup to being the CEO of a billion dollar company, like a Jeff Mm. Bezos or something like Mm. that. We're not talking about those people. Those are the 0.00001% of people who exist. Yeah. The media makes out as if all CEOs and all owners should be like that. It's right. bullshit. It doesn't right. exist. Most people can't go from zero to one and then one to two and two to three. Right. That's that's a whole, that's another part. Yeah. We'll talk about that another time. But yeah, yeah. I think when you, if you started your business because you were interested in solving a problem and now you're no longer solving the problem because you're building a system 
that has a system or you're managing managers yeah. or something like that, you get so far away from that stuff that you not only become tone deaf to the whole story, mm -hmm. but you are, you're kind of missing out on what made you excited by this thing in the first place. Yeah. Like, you know, if you like building Lego as a kid and now you manage a person who manages a person who manages a person who builds the Lego, like, right. You're not going to, you're not going to be excited by Lego anymore. Yeah. yeah. Right. You're just like filling out forms and, and yeah. doing HR requests and stuff like that. Right. But I think if you're involved and this is why I got excited about sales is I would go to the sales calls. I would be on the calls. I'd be in the meetings, not every single one of them, but I was mm -hmm. in enough of them for me to be practicing to realize, Oh, right. That's what we say now. That doesn't matter anymore. Or like, right, right. we need to update this or we need to improve that. Or that's, yeah. That's a shift in the marketplace that I hadn't seen before. Yep. And that's really important because then that makes you smarter at what you can do. Agreed. All right. We should wrap it up. Yeah. We're... Another perfectly good day has been wasted talking about. <laughs> <laughs> but we're going to talk again soon so we can wrap yeah. it up now and reconvene on Wednesday because now we're, we're popping these bad boys out twice a week. Um, right. So hopefully, hopefully people are enjoying the slightly shorter format and they're able to kind of stay up to date with us but yeah this has been as usual fun we'll do it again on wednesday and then you'll be off and then we'll catch up again yeah between your back and 10th i'm away yeah mm -hmm. okay wonderful and we'll get all of your you know refreshed ideas and mm -hmm. reinvigorated enthusiasm that's right. windswept and interesting that's right um, that's right exactly exactly <laughs> all right we'll have a good week in the meantime thank you talk to you soon